welcome to Note Doctors. My name is Paul. My name is Jen. My name is Ben. And we are your hosts. We are all university music theory instructors who are passionate about music theory and music theory instruction. In this podcast, we will be talking about all things theory with some of the best music theory teachers in the country. If you want to know more about music theory and the most effective and innovative ways to teach it, this is the podcast for you. Hello and welcome back to Note Doctors. Happy 2022. We made it through another year. We're going to do a little bit of a, a wrap-up for this this episode. Wrap-up of 2021. All the good, the bad, and the ugly. And so we're just <laughs> going to share our thoughts of things that we learned, things that we did well, things that we may not have done well over this past fall in, in our own teaching, and uh, things that perhaps we hope to improve upon uh, as we enter into the spring. So, Jen, Ben, how are you all doing? Pretty well. Happy New Year, Paul. Hanging in there, surviving. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 2022 is looking just as bad as 2021. No. We're going to venture on. All right, so uh, let's talk a little bit about um, the fall semester and maybe one thing that each of, uh, each of us changed in our teaching this past fall semester as we look back on it i think that's one of our goals i think all three of us we're always kind of looking at you know ways we can improve self-assessing and um, and i think the fall semester was just another opportunity for us to look at how, how we do things and do them better or do them differently and so uh what did uh, you all do differently well um i my dean very graciously granted us a full set of keyboards for our two theory classrooms so that every single student could have um, a sort of miniature keyboard at their desk during any theory class, um, which was amazing. I, I wrote the proposal and I said sort of like, you know, if we could have one for everybody, that would be great. But we'll even take like one for half of them and we can trade off and you know all sorts of stuff and he he really came through for us and so that alone made some major changes in how i did things in actually all of my written theory classes in the fall so in theory one in the fall we had them out every day and what i loved was that even on days where i didn't say hey we're using the keyboards a lot today go get them out of the closet or whatever, the students would just automatically go get them because they liked having that tool in their hands. And so we did, from day one of theory one, we did a ton of keyboard activities. Sometimes it was simple things like we're all gonna play the scale together or we're all gonna play you know, all of the chords in E flat major or whatever together. But eventually, um, their knowledge got to a place and their keyboard skills got to a place where we could do some really fun things. So like when I taught the Tracio rhythm, um, they were buddied up with a partner and they, one of them would play a chord progression in the Tracio rhythm while the other student improvised a melody. Can you, and I just can gave you them show us that or sing us that rhythm in case people da, aren't aware. Da, 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 da. It's really common. It's in everything. Um, but so the, you know, one student 
was playing the chord progression in that rhythm that we had just learned that day. And then the other student had really basic rules for improvisation. So you can play any note that fits with the chord, or you can play any note that doesn't fit with the chord and then see what you think that note should do, right? And then we just, it's kind of a simple response from the students. So when I go listen to them, I'll say, what do you think worked well? What would you do differently if you did it again? And then they would switch, you know, the other partner would improvise the melody. But so they would come up with the most, I was just in awe of them the whole semester, theory one, they've just learned how to spell Roman numeral one. And yet what they could like intuitively do at the keyboard was so much more than they're able to demonstrate with their written skills. And it improved kind of both of those things as we went through the semester, both their ability to improv and think musically and all of that, and also to write it down and talk about it in that way. It was great. And I used them in my upper level classes too. So um, in theory four, for example, I made them um, play My Country Tis of Thee in all of the wacko scales. So they had to play My Country Tis of Thee in whole tone, My Country Tis of Thee in octatonic, My Country Tis of Thee in the hexatonic scale, right? So it made for some really interesting <laughs> melodies. They had to play it in all the modes, right? Um, and think through what that would look like, you know, how that would sound in that mode. And then we also did some improving with those scales and things like that. So um, the keyboards changed a lot for us and it made it just so much more hands-on. It was a, a really good change this fall. That's awesome. Wow. Uh, in my class, we just launched this fall our jazz integration to the core theory program. So we did a lot more integration of lead sheet symbols, um, taking pop songs, you know, and kind of sometimes critiquing the internet Wikipedia version of the song and saying, wait a minute, was that actually what was listed on there? And uh, I think the students enjoyed that a ton. Um, also, I did a composition project in theory one that was different from what I've done in the past. And I gave them three uh, multimedia prompts. So one of them was a top rated game, which was Lego Star Wars lightsaber battles. And <laughs> another one was the Sky View app, which you hold up your phone and look at the constellations. And I said, write something, one minute. And then the other one was a TV show, theme song, um, a kid's show. So I just kind of prompted them. And I was just so amazed to see the results um, of that. It was, it was absolutely stunning. And a lot of them uh, said, hey, we need to do more of this next semester. So I'm thinking about kind of adapting it more for next semester and kind of seeing like, okay, what are the trending apps or what are the trending, you know, top 10 shows or games trying to kind of use that more as a prompt instead of trying to like do you know to refer back to our last episode about the corralling the corral you know more like four-part writing of chord progressions or something you know like try to prompt with something more from a multimedia context I think is a really really cool thing to do that the students enjoy a lot and a lot of them I think were better I played for them the original you know and then played some of the student ones I think the student ones were better than the the originals so certainly it was kind of cool nice. to, to see that yeah um and i discovered one of my students has this youtube channel that has like all these film score analysis things and i thought wow my goodness one of my students had, was writing a song every day the whole semester i had no idea until i discovered the youtube channel so it's just all kinds of stuff that came to light um through doing that and doing the jazz integration was was absolutely awesome um it was it was very fun very cool 
That's awesome. Now, did they did they write the pieces or did they like record them or? It depended on the student. One of my students, actually, um, Alex, he did trumpet part that he played himself, trombone part that he played himself, keyboard parts that he played himself, drum kit pattern that he played himself over Thanksgiving break at his parents' house. Yes. And then he made this full video of himself playing all of these with Uh. the graphic of the TV show intro. Um, So that was very elaborate. That was, you know, kind of the most involved, I guess. But the requirement was just to write it yourself. And you could use, uh, you know, if you used, um, you know, Logic Pro or Digital Audio Workstation or whatnot, you could submit with that too, as long as you answered all the questions that that went along with it. You know, I kind of prompted with some more comparative questions. We were talking about this before we signed on, comparing like different styles and like, did you use the phrase model? Why or why not? You know, what kind of keys did you use? Uh, why are, why did you use those keys or what kind of meter? Why did you use that meter? Questions like that that are kind of more comparative instead of telling them to write a four-part SATB 1451 or something. Mm-hmm. That's so, cool. Yeah. That's cool. So for uh, my semester, uh, it's, it's a little, uh, it was a little out of left field uh, for me, but I, so uh, at Texas Women's University, I'm going to do a quick history lesson here. So we had a, um, in the early 20th century, we had a, uh, a black community, a free black uh, community just south of our campus that was forcibly removed um, in, in 1922 when Texas Women's University was called the College of Industrial Arts. It was, it was still a women's <laughs> university. Um, and it was turned into a park. And one of the main kind of uh, motivators of moving that uh, black community, which was called Quaker Town, was because of this school, this female school just up up the road and how we had all these, you know, young white women and how it was dangerous and all these things like that. And um, it's really kind of, it's a, it's a black eye on, on the university, on our city of Denton. And most people don't even know about it. And so a number of my colleagues in the College of Arts and Sciences, they got this actually an NEH grant to do experiential learning and to, do, um, to create this uh, basically uh, a, par- a, a memorial and a place to learn on, on our campus. And so they invited uh, faculty to participate in that so I, I applied and I was one of the faculty and so I my job was to incorporate the stories of Quaker towns so the stories of these folks um, into one of my classes and so I decided to incorporate that into my theory four class and so what we ended up doing was um, learning about Quaker town we had some we had a couple interviews and people come came into class and they had to write a composition kind of inspired by um, by the Quaker Town stories. And it was really kind of very, very free. And it was a project that we did all semester. Most of the time, my composition projects are like at the very end. We spend like, you know, two or three weeks on them. But this one, I was really nervous about because I wanted to make sure that they were really thinking through things and having as good of results as possible. And, um, and also just talking, there's kind of some difficult conversations to have. And mm-hmm. so we started on the, at the very beginning. We took a 
field trip down to the park and we walked around and we had a map of all the where the buildings were from where this community was and so it was really cool and um and then we kind of had workshops periodically where they'd bring in what they had we'd talk about musical things we'd also talk about like appropriation and perspective Mm. like okay you're a white guy and you're singing from the perspective of someone who lives in the Quaker town. Like, is that appropriate? And, and, and we're like, well, I guess not. That's not, you know, that's probably not the perspective I should be having if I'm writing this song. And, and being able to talk about those kind of, kind of challenging topics were really good. And then we eventually had, had them, we performed them kind of for class and, and hopefully this spring we'll have actually a kind of a public performance in the, in the kind of the space that's being set aside to remember Quaker Town, so that was um, a, a different thing than I did this this uh, semester, and we're going to be doing that again with my students in the in the spring as well. So that was that's fantastic. Nice. Cool. Yeah. yeah. So, but yeah. Thanks for sharing that, Paul. Well, yeah. I, I'm like super inspired by just like listening to you guys. So that's. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So what are we doing differently in the spring? What are we changing? Mm. Yeah, that's how I feel too. <laughs> well, for one thing, I'm teaching totally different classes this spring. Uh-huh. Um, I'm teaching pedagogy for the first time, actually, because um, I had a colleague retire. She used to always teach it. And so now I'm going to get my hands on it. And I'm excited about that. And um, I certainly have thought a lot about how to teach that class based on Lee Van Handel's talk at SMT. Um, Mm. Just like what really needs to be in that class. And my pedagogy instruction in my master's degree was very good, but it was very like, do you have the skills to do this? And I think I would like to talk about talk with the students about some of the best practices just as a teacher. Like, how do you write a lesson plan? How do you plan a semester curriculum and consider the things that need to go into a sequence? How do you, you know, some of those more practical things, how do you, what do you do if the students are not getting it? What do you do if your planned sequence isn't working out because the students are either way ahead of where you thought they would be or way behind where you thought they would be? You know, how do you how do you decide how to grade an exam? How do you find good examples to put on a test? Just some of those more practical things that you kind of don't get anywhere else, you know, in the in the curriculum. So I'm excited about that. (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, um, the pedagogy class, I that I teach at TW, I've been thinking back to the, my first time I taught it and the way I teach it now is totally different because at first Mm -hmm. I was like, all right, well, let's talk about understanding these theory concepts. And, you know, we did all this analysis and we talked about, and it was more about like getting the students understanding the theory so that they could then teach it, you know, because if you just understand the theoretical concept, you can teach it, but that's not, (laughs) that's not, (laughs) it's about the practical elements. Like how do you, Mm -hmm. yeah. As you talked about Jen, creating lesson plans, finding examples, you know, how, and how does, how's a course grow throughout the semester and how do you deal with, you know, students who are ahead behind all these things. There's like these Mm -hmm. practical applications because at least for, in my, in my instance, like none of my students are going to be teaching theory as their main gig. 
Um, but right. they might find themselves teaching theory or they're, they're going to find themselves teaching. And so what are kind of basic teaching skills mm -hmm. can, I, can I give them? Um, and, and that's been, I've, that's been my, more my focus, certainly, um, in, in the past couple semesters. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I feel that a lot. Mine has definitely been ongoing this year, probably more of what we kind of talked about a little bit in relation to um, John Kovacs' SMT, which was having to do with last year, I took a lot of examples from marginalized composers and said, oh my gosh, I need to be more inclusive, you know, and uh, kind of in that spirit, I think one of the next steps that a lot of people are thinking about is how do we kind of treat music on its own terms? Are we taking examples and trying to fit them into existing kind of curricular holes where they don't necessarily fit and how to teach those better? I think that's a question that a lot of people are wrestling with. I'm definitely kind of taking that as like my main um, point of departure on all of my lesson plans is, you know, am I putting square pegs into round holes or, you know, how can I better structure the way this lesson is put together to really reflect different styles um, appropriately and show that in the best possible way with the music as the, as the leader um, instead of the theory, um, which is, it's mm -hmm. just so, it's hard to do that. I mean, that's something that I think we even talked about a lot is just, you know, music versus theory, you know, what do you, what takes the lead? Sometimes it's a lot faster to lead with the theory. You know, you have 10 minutes to teach mm -hmm. whatever. You can just explain the theory and you're done. But mm -hmm. is that necessarily the best thing? Maybe not. You know, a lot of the times the music taking the, the, the first step and then the theory kind of saying, well, how do we analyze that? Just like you were saying, Jen, you know, when you're having your students improvise, you know, reflecting on like, what just happened? What did I just hear? Because a lot of times right. we're preparing our students for music that hasn't been written yet and music that we ourselves have not even been exposed to. So, you know, to do those two things, you really have to challenge yourself to, on a daily basis when you're creating lessons, like, okay, let's let the music take the lead and try to like, you know, get those theoretical concepts that you, you feel are important to your students, but also really contextualize them properly and, and adequately. I don't know. It's right. I and about. I think part of contextualizing them well is taking out the um, measure of how good or bad something is, right? Yes. Like just removing that is something that you yeah. ever talk about in theory class and instead approaching it for, for what it is. Like, what yes. do we see in this example? What can we learn from this? What does it teach us about, you know, melody or counterpoint or you know which of course can apply very broad or syncopation you know when i taught syncopation we looked at um like a 16th century example we looked at something from west side story we looked at some popular music some jazz we looked at you know some polyrhythmic drum music we you know just to kind of get a sense of like syncopation is a thing and it exists in lots of different structures in lots of different ways how does it show up in that space so how does syncopation show up in jazz music how does syncopation show up in you know non-western music specifically this drum video that we just watched how does it show up in this 16th century motet or whatever you know yeah um and yeah. not saying and then you like, always well, have more questions like oh, even yeah. even and within jazz that, it's like is it ornithology or is it take the A train? I mean, those are like both fairly right. well-known tunes, but like 
the syncopation is different in both, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, sorry. Sorry to interject on that, but... No, you're totally right. You're totally right. And I think, I mean, like, that's that's was a great day in Theory 1 this fall was that I... Um, I've said this many times in the podcast, but that I would start each class with a recording this fall and then we'd talk about it and a song of the day. And um, I played something. I don't remember even what it was that sparked this conversation, Um, but the students were debating whether or not it was jazz. And it was something... (laughs) um, I, I was pretty comfortable calling it jazz, but... Anyway, it sparked this whole debate (laughs) among the students. And so I said, okay, I'm going to play you some other things. So we just went off book, you know, lesson planning 101. (laughs) Feel free to toss it out. And and, uh, I played like pork and beans. Right. And then I played like take the A train. Okay. And then I played some free jazz like Ornette Coleman or, you know, someone doing totally just atonal free jazz. And I was like, all of these are categorized as jazz. Right. I know what it was. It was an Alice Coltrane. I played an Alice Coltrane harp piece. And they were oh. like, wait, is this jazz? Wow. And so I played all of these different things. And I was like, any of these would easily be categorized as jazz. But do they sound at all alike? Like, does pork and beans sound like take the A train? No, <laughs> not at all. And there's really not even that many years separating those two pieces of music. And I was like, it's this is true in all styles that they evolve, they change across time, and that really our labels are just ours. <laughs> like mm-hmm. we want we want to put things into categories, but music resists it pretty much always. You know, I mean, yep. Beethoven. Yep. There's still a debate over whether Beethoven is a classical or an early romantic composer. <laughs> That's something people talk about but still he definitely now. Has three Beethoven, periods. Three periods. Right. Definitely. Oh, yeah. Three periods. For sure. And I'm sure he was thinking to himself, I'm, I'm leaving my early period now. Yeah. And I'm embarking on my, like, mm-hmm. come on, you know. That's right. We want to categorize things. That's on us. But music doesn't want to be categorized. And composers don't really want to be. They want to just write their stuff, I think, Paul. Am I right? Yeah, we just want to write our stuff. You don't want to have to be like, I'm a minimalist, you know. Like, you just right. want to write your music. Right, yeah, and we let the theorists and the historians, musicologists, <laughs> do all the labeling, right? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think I think that's absolutely right. I think the challenge with that is when we get into harmonic topics that are so Western focused. Like, yeah, syncopation yeah. happens everywhere, right? Yeah. But what about when you get to the chapter where you're talking about Neapolitan six and augmented six chords? You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. you're like, then you pull in, oh, this jazz, you know, uh, tune. And as an example of an augmented six chord or something like that. And well, jazz is easy because they do happen there. But but I mean, they're essentially tritone subs to validate this kind of Western art music, right? You're bringing that in. Well, that's kind of what I'm saying to, is that yeah. jazz is easy because they do use them and they mm-hmm. use them in a similar fashion. But well, why don't we ever go, go back? Why don't we start with the jazz? Like this is an augmented six chord, and then go, hey. Beethoven does that too. We never do that, right? We, no, right, we don't. Right. We Valid. don't. Yeah, Beethoven we is don't. And default. in jazz, of course, it's not a voice leading chord in jazz. It's a tritone sub, basically. It just mm-hmm. resolves to a dominant yeah. instead of to a major or minor seven chord. So, you know, but in Beethoven, it is a voice leading chord. In Mozart, it is a voice leading chord. So you're right. Like, we don't pull it back in that way. 
But also, we don't go hunting for them in Bruno Mars, probably, either, you know, and (laughs) or totally non-Western structures, because, you know, so the key there is probably to address it that way, to say, like, this Mm -hmm. is a phenomenon that's common in Western music. That's the thing that we haven't called out for our whole, you know, like the way we were taught to teach. It's like Western music is all there is. So Mm -hmm. here's augmented six chords and everybody uses them, of course, rather than saying (laughs) like, this is something specific to like a very particular kind of music. And you, you find it somewhat in other spaces used differently and not at all in lots of places, you know? Yeah. Every music has a, has a descriptor or a prefix, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And how can we also start to talk about things that don't occur at all in Western music? You know, how can we find those things and start to make sure we're talking about those as well. I don't have right. the answer. That's why right. I posed the question. It's uh, yeah. <laughs> a hard question to answer. Yeah. I mean, that's, that goes back to uh, our training and mm-hmm. the fact that we don't largely have that exposure um, when, we, when mm-hmm. we get our graduate degrees. Thank you, Lee Van Handel, for pointing that out. Yeah. Pulling yeah. up her slides that I took screenshots of. <laughs> And, well, and uh, even in Western music, like the the yes. that jazz that jazz conversation sparked a whole conversation about what is country and what is not country, you know. And on that same day, we really had a rabbit hole kind of day that day, but it was really <laughs> productive. I think it was a really good discussion. But I'm not equipped to talk to them about country music. It's not something I've listened to much. I you know I know limited things. Even trying to bring in artists to play at the beginning of class. At one point, I was like, we are like seven weeks in and I've not played a single country song as the song of the day because I just don't know them like I just it's outside my wheelhouse so I went and found some stuff and you know played it but that even there even we are so specialized in graduate school like I studied early 20th century atonality that is applicable almost not at all to anything else <laughs> like, well, you know hey I Schoenberg mean, is now public domain so I didn't even study go. him for it now I didn't even study him <laughs> <laughs> I was writing about Eimert and Gomeshev too popular other people she's even yeah, more well, nuanced for real I didn't want to write a 1200 page dissertation so I stuck with other people that are less well known but like you know Thankfully, I like lots of other stuff and I'm interested in lots of other stuff. And most of us are, too. But that doesn't mean that we got a super broad instruction on the, how the music is set up to begin with, let alone how to teach it. And so that's our that's the work we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. No, she also, I think, really leaving handle on talking about brought mm-hmm. up a good point, even within Western music. Graduate students are saying, we want to, we want to study more popular music. We want to study more mm-hmm. film music. You know, that is music that exists in Western culture, <laughs> you know, but, mm-hmm. you know, I don't remember necessarily uh, professors, you know, over the moon to supervise dissertations on film music and, and mm-hmm. pop music. You know, I, you know, you're probably going to have a couple people and hopefully more now, you know, but I think that has sparked a lot of good research that hopefully will be presented at some of the some of the regional societies i submitted my first film music proposal this winter so we'll see what happens with it um but i hope to do more of that stuff too just kind of 
to expand what we're doing, both in undergraduate and graduate, both, you know. Mm -hmm. A lot of times we talk about undergraduate more in here, but maybe we talk about graduate more sometimes too. It's kind of how do we prepare our graduate students to be, you know, prepared in all of these different different ways. It's hard. It's hard to do that. Uh, You can only attend so many seminars. You don't want to be in graduate school forever. We all know that. (laughs) But... Could we possibly trim down maybe a little bit, you know, of, you know, something like yeah. atonality? Do we need all of this atonality? Maybe a little bit of film music, you know, or maybe atonal film music. I don't know. Maybe there's, you know, an overlap there that you can kind of do mm-hmm. both and. I don't know. But certainly she raised some really good points at the, the SMT in her in her talk that I, I really liked. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it, well, it was when she was talking about like foreign language like we, I had to learn two, I took something like nine semesters of foreign language between my master's and my doctorate. Um, yeah, because I took four semesters of German, four semesters of French, and the German reading class for research. That's nine semesters. <laughs> and, you know, and was also like going to German book reading club and, you know, like doing all these things to try to keep those language skills relevant and alive and I happen to like learning language so I I, it didn't you know I wasn't mad about it but like right how often do I use that now well sometimes I do translate my own texts for when we're analyzing something in class I'll just translate it like on the spot but I could google it you know like is do we (laughs) is that relevant and, you know, it was interesting to see that most people felt it really wasn't relevant even to their research or to what, they, what they've done since, you know, some right. for sure. Like, I, I couldn't have written the dissertation I wrote if I didn't read actually both German and French. I would have been up a creek. But that's not every topic and that's not every, you know, is it worth that much instruction time in a degree? Yeah, I think she mentioned something about uh, the folks who said that the language requirement was very useful. Um, also aligned with the people who could choose the language. So there wasn't like either German yes. or French, they could choose, you know. Um, well, and actually we could a, choose. A computer language, but you had, how right. many options did you have? We could choose one. So everybody took German, um, but we could choose what the second language was. And you were encouraged to do a language that was relevant to the research that you intended to do. So I know people who did, I know somebody who did um, Latin. I know people who did Italian. I know people who did Greek. Um, I know somebody who did Hebrew. So it kind of depended. You had to get it approved if it wasn't, I think, French, Italian, one of those. You had to get it approved as your second language, Um, which, of course, hopefully some of those barriers are going to go away as well. And I don't, I can think of one person who might have wanted to do computer language. I don't, that probably didn't pass when we were there, but I hope it would now. So I do, I did have choice, but again, I'm sitting here saying like it, it ended up being relevant for what I did. So I'm right in line with what Lee said about that. Cause I had an yeah. element of choice in what I did. Yeah. So, well, what was your favorite single lesson from this past semester? Can you think of one? Hmm. Or your worst? I, don't, <laughs> I, I tend <laughs> no, to block I those joking. out. <laughs> I was joking about the worst lesson. 
No, I think one of my best one was a. Um, I did the lion sleeps tonight. A theory one. It was really fun. We kind of made it, kind of made the song, and then we talked about how that's different from the original. Kind of some of the appropriation that happened there. But also, it's something that is really relatable, and you can also improvise with it really easily. So it opened a lot of doors to that too. A lot of people were willing to improvise once it got going. And uh, it was just really fun, um, you know, it can kind of show how some of the lines move, how you can create different parts with it. Um, yeah, it was fun. It was it was really fun. Did the lion sleeps tonight? I had never done that before, and uh, super cool, super cool. We had a we had a good good time with that in theory one, the big class. Awesome. That's good. It's kind of blurring for me. It's all blurring together. <laughs> um, I can go, I think. Uh, yeah, go uh, ahead. Uh, actually, it was also a popular music uh, day that I can think of is that we looked at um, Adele's Easy On Me and Olivia Rodrigo's Deja Vu. Because all of my students are obsessed with Olivia Rodrigo. Oh, yeah. yeah I definitely. mean, she's like, she is the thing. Um, and so we just used chord charts and uh no no notated music and or no no staff notation i should say mm-hmm. um and we you know we we analyzed the chords but we also just did a lot of analysis through our listening so you know listening to texture we were talking about all of the different kind of layers in the olivia rodrigo piece um so we, we you know we talked about novelty layer um, and kind of the different timbres, why they would use that. And like with Adele's performance, like that song Easy On Me is like piano, voice, and like so, like very light bass. <laughs> like that's it, right? But it's, a, it's an amazing performance. So you talk about her singing, the different ways mm-hmm. that she's singing, her timbre, her intonation, because there's some spots where it's kind of like, like it's not auto-tuned i should say so like you, there's and there's an adam neely video where it's like is this song you know is easy on me microtonal because like, like this melisma where it's like <laughs> she's not like on a b flat or a b it's kind of in the middle right and um what that does to the song why that you know why they would choose to uh you know the producer would choose to keep that type of kind of um error or mistake in there and I th- that was just a really really fun class and we have we have an hour and 20 minute long theory classes so but we spent the whole day on just on those two pieces on those two songs and it was it was it was really good so that, that was a that was a, a success i can think of it's good i can think of like little activities that we did that worked really well um a lot of them were with the keyboards so figuring out what the leading tone is by like actually (laughs) physically raising it, you know, that kind of thing while you're doing the scale. Um, Some of the improv activities in all the classes, I used them in jazz as well. Um, And yeah, those are the things I can think of. I can, (laughs) I know where you were joking about talking about worst, but uh, there was a day in in theory four where we got on a total rabbit trail about the song of the day that went, we went on and on and on and we really dug in and I looked at the clock and we had like 30 minutes left. And I had, I was like, they have to learn (laughs) how to do like, 
transposition and inversion of a set today. <laughs> they have to. We're going to take a little pivot right because there. Because <laughs> if they don't, I'm going to have to delete something from our curriculum. So all of a sudden, I was like, this has been a great discussion, but now we need to talk about this. And so well, I'm like flying through it. They're barely getting time to write stuff down. And they're like, wait a minute. Why Why do we go backwards? I Wait, why? <laughs> so I basically had to like reteach the whole thing at the beginning of the next class period. That was not a great day. That's I remember hilarious. leaving and being like, I didn't manage Chime very well today, but I did really <laughs> I did really enjoy that first part of class where we were like digging into something and really like having a good robust discussion about music. I, that was great. And then awesome. I had to ruin it with like, let's do math. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of time like, management, oh. I thought of my worst class. And so I, I'd mentioned that we have hour and 20 minute uh, theory classes. We have 50 minute oral skills classes. Um, I was teaching a, I think it was a theory four, and I let the class out after 50 minutes. Cause I was like, Oh, we're done. <laughs> and all the, I'm like, okay, well we're wrapped up for today. And I hadn't gotten through everything I wanted to, but I was like, I just, you know, ran out of time, time management. And they all left the class. No one said anything. And then they were standing in the hallway and I'm just like, you know, putting things away. And then they're like, they come in, they're like, you know, this is a Wednesday, not a Tuesday or a Thursday. I'm like, <laughs> oh my gosh, we have three more minutes of class. That's awesome. <laughs> no, I totally did that once. I yeah, did that once. Like, the same oh. thing. It ended at 50 when it was supposed to end at 20. Right? Yeah. yeah. And so I was like, well, come on in. And so we finished the class, but I was, I couldn't, but I couldn't believe that I, I did that. But that's why I had so much more material to go over because I had another 30 minutes left in class. Oh, I love hilarious. that they told you. I mean, that's I a good sign that they're that all like, wait, sign. but class isn't supposed to be over yet. But they already packed yeah. up. Like, they had packed up. They It, it took them probably, yeah. like, to all just look at each other in the hallway and be like, did that just happen? Like, <laughs> like, uh, Dr. Thomas. So, oh. Well, I teach Theory 1 at 11. Uh, so it goes from 11 to 11.50. Almost everyone eats lunch directly after class. And I had taught um, Alicia Keys, If I Ain't Got You. And apparently, I did not know this, um, but when my students went into Bruce Hall for lunch, most of them go to Bruce Hall for lunch, Alicia Keys, If I Ain't Got You, was playing. <laughs> and they great. came back the next day and said, oh my gosh, Dr. Graf, we see what you did, oh my goodness. And I was just, what are you guys talking about? You also controlled the music like, service. Yeah. <laughs> they were like, wait, you didn't play that Alicia Keys song over those Bruce Hall speakers? I was like, no, guys, that just, that was in the wild, you know, like, that, that, was, that just happened. They're like, oh, my gosh, we thought you did that. You know, but that was, that was kind of funny. Like, no, you just encountered music that you studied in theory at lunch. How about that? Oh, my goodness. You know. In the wild. So, yeah, that was, that was kind of funny. I, I had a good laugh over that one. They thought I had somehow secretly sabotaged the music systems in the cafe. <laughs> <laughs> Do they really think we have that much power? Oh yeah, we so. must. <laughs> we don't, to be no. clear. No. <laughs> we we do not. Yeah. <laughs> so, what yeah. is one thing maybe this will be our last question for the day. What's one thing sure. that we are looking forward to uh for the spring or something we're going to do new or uh, different? Um, what do we got on tap for the uh, the spring? I can start. I just opened my new iPad Pro. 
So I am going to be teaching mobile without any wires, and I'm going to be connecting to the projector, so I will be able to see what every student is working on at every moment in the class. Mwah, ah, ah. I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> a more evil laugh. I don't really mean any evil laugh. Uh, we do control that was my f- things, apparently. <laughs> That was my first vocal solo, by the way. Fourth grade, I had a vocal solo, and my mom says up to the concert, oh my gosh, what's your solo, Ben? And it was me going, moi, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> it wasn't even any sung text whatsoever. It was just an evil laugh. I had the best evil laugh in the choir. But anyways, nice. side note. But yeah, iPad Pro, got a uh, Apple Pencil, Magic Mouse, going to be converting everything to annotating PDFs, and now I can walk around the room instead of being tied to my document camera or staying in front of the room. Those of you that have seen me teach, I am a pacer. I love to move, 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 get those step counts up in the new year, and I will be doing that with my iPad Pro. So thank you to my admin for contributing to that. And stairs, too, because, I mean, you're you're in the recital, yeah, so you're going up exactly. and down the stairs. I can go up and down the stairs. I'm going to be all over the place. I love it. Because sometimes I feel like I can't connect as well when I'm not getting that proximity. Um, Mm -hmm. My wife likes to talk about that too. With middle school teaching, proximity is important. Are you getting close to -hmm. looking at what your students are doing all over the room? Or are you just tending to talk to only one group? Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm excited about about that part of it. Shout out to... uh, Malia Roberson, right? She's the one. Who- yes, I wrote to Malia yeah. and told her about it. I was so excited because we had joked about it on the podcast, and then it actually happened. I can't believe it actually happened. It's actually here now for the new year. That's uh, awesome. That's good. Um, I'm teaching Theory 2 and Theory 3 this spring, and um, we're doing – it'll be our first run with the – we've changed Theory 2 – so that when we introduce um, secondary dominance, modulation, and modal mixture, we will be using predominantly um, popular and jazz examples and not really using the typical classical examples almost at all. And we'll be doing lots of things with lead sheets, no part writing of things like that um, until theory three. Um, We did this in part because our music business majors, most of them only take theory one and two, And so we've kind of moved things around, shifted things around to make that class more practical. So I'm really excited about that last unit and seeing how it shapes up. My colleague has already taught it this fall and um, kind of reported some exciting things about it to me. So I'm excited about that. Um, I'm teaching, like I said, theory two and three, and then I'm teaching two um, theory major only upper level classes one is advanced analysis and one is um, pedagogy. And those are always, I mean, it's always fun. It's just you and the theory majors having a long chat every day. It's pretty great. Um, should be a good time. So I'm excited about that. And Ben, of course, you will come in hopefully and do your typical <laughs> Schenker lecture because I am not an expert um, on that. But yeah, that it should be a good spring. I will say one of the things I'm wrestling with is in all of the, all that we've been through in the last two years, there's been a lot of like, what standards do we keep? Which ones are not really necessary? How much do we keep things really rigorous? How much grace do we give? All of those kinds of conversations. And I'm really, you know, I, I'm one of those who like, they do homework every class period. And, um, 
And I allow corrections and sometimes late work under certain circumstances. And so one of the things that I'm kind of grappling with is like very few students are keeping up with the workload anymore. And I'm also struggling to keep up with the workload of grading all of that. And so I'm trying to navigate like the last time that I experimented with changing how I did homework or making homework less, you know, fewer times or whatever, the students did not do as well that semester. So I'm really debating, like, do I try that? I thought about kind of gaming, gamifying it. I'm still thinking about that, like making it like we have this many, you can, you know, you only have to do this many or making it sort of like a more points based thing um, where like, you know, there's this many points in the category it's up to you how many of those you want to accrue or I don't know. I thought about making certain aspects of it like choice. You can choose to do extra keyboard and less homework or extra this and less that or whatever. But I'm like, that's also a nightmare for me. Then I have to keep track of all of that. Right. So I'm just trying to figure out how to navigate that and make it both easier on them more manageable for them, but also for myself, because some of my, even my strongest students, there were a few who missed maybe three, four, five homework assignments, which, you know, I mean, there were probably like 40 across the semester. So that's, that's not like missing half or something, but it still feels like, okay, if even the like a level students are struggling to keep up with the workload, then is it serving us anymore to do this level of turning things in and do they have to do that same exercise 25 times or you know whatever i don't know that's what i'm grappling with for spring i don't know if you guys are in a similar situation i i mean i feel that too i think like one of the one of the things that i'm i'm thinking about this semester and it's not it's not a it's more of like a philosophy or, or, or way of thinking about what, what I'm doing, but I think connects to what you, you're talking about, Jen, is something that uh, Timothy Chenette said at, after his SMT talk. This, it was just during the Q&A section, and he just kind of threw out this little line about how he's thinking more of what he's doing. You know, teaching theory is not about um, gatekeeping, but it's about empowerment, right? And I, I, I mean, I've, I've felt like a gatekeeper a lot of my time mm. like that's you know what's my job that's my function you know in the mm-hmm. university is or in the music department is to to kind of weed students out right that's they we we test them to get when they come in here we put them in the right mm-hmm. place hopefully um and then you know if they can make it through us you know then they're worthy they have the skills they they, they can be successful um in in, in music and i think I think there's plenty of musicians out there that prove that you don't have to be successful in music theory to mm-hmm. be a good musician or to make it right. <laughs> and so maybe we're giving ourselves too much credit. Like, Oh, if they don't pass theory or all skills, um, they, they can't make it. Um, and so thinking about like, how do I view my job as empowering students rather mm-hmm. than just kind of keeping them in or out? And so, because that's kind of what we want, right? We want to inspire these students with these skills and the knowledge that we're we're giving them, so that they can then use it in their own career. And 
does that mean less homework or maybe that means more applicable homework or, or, or work that's, that, that is uh, appropriate for where they're wanting to go rather than saying, okay, you just, you, you have to, you know, label this page and a half of triads and different inversions just because you have to. Right. Uh, right. Or maybe if you can do the first 10, you don't have to do the next 35. I, I, you know, there's, you know, right. why, why have to go to these, these lengths? And so I, I'm with you, Jen. Like, I don't know exactly how it works um, because I think the students are stressed. They're overworked. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, and, and we don't want us to over- too. us too. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And totally. so, yeah. Um, but maybe thinking less, like I have to be this gatekeeper, uh, mentality might mm-hmm. might might be helpful, and so that's kind of something that I'm going to be trying to do. Um, and also listening to more hip hop and rap music. That's one of my goals. Because <laughs> we got to the section, and like I am not like we went, we just listened to Hamilton. Uh, <laughs> I mean that's rap, right? Um, right. And but like even <laughs> the even the 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 and I love the Clendenning Marvin textbook. I think it's great. Uh, but they get they use Despacito, which was like one of the hit songs from like three summers ago, mm-hmm. uh, as kind of like a hip hop rap example. And just some of the lyrics, like the English translation, is kind of scandalous. Um, yeah. And I'm like, and even my students were kind of like, I mean, I mentioned it just because we were looking at the text, and the students were like, eh? uh, they're like, do you know what this song's about? And so um, I'm like, I don't know. So like, just getting more, you know. A, a, a aware getting a, a better awareness of that music so that i can i can talk uh, about it with not necessarily like authority but with a place of understanding right um so those are yeah. some of the things that i want to do differently i have to I, really watch out for what lyrics are in songs that i play in class sure. um because right. i because i teach at a religious school and um and I don't want the lesson to be sidetracked by somebody being offended by something they heard. Like then we're missing the whole point or we're not getting to use the example for its real purpose anyway, if that's going to be an issue, you know, but I've had the same problem. And even with Hamilton, there are lots of Hamilton songs I can't use because they're explicit. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I have yet to play like a, rap song as the song of the day which was pointed out to me by a student and i was like hey if you guys have some clean ones bring them to me i will play them but i'm really struggling to find some clean ones that don't either have language or discussions of like violence against women or violence in general or like i'm struggling so if you i'm like i've been looking and looking so help me out can i read you the lyric of one of, the, one of the lyrics from Despacito, because I think it's hilarious, the English translation. <laughs> sure. Um, slowly, I want to undress you in kisses, slowly. Firmly in the walls of your labyrinth and of your body, I want to create a manuscript. <laughs> That's <Whoa>. the English translation. <laughs> manuscript studies. <laughs> wow. Just kidding. That'll get them wow. interested in manuscript studies. There I we guess. go. <laughs> but that would definitely get some eyebrow raises at my institution. So <laughs> they'd be like, what is going on in theory today? Right. <laughs> I had just texted my TA about uh, Doja Cat. Any of y'all like Doja Cat? I don't even I don't know what even that know is. What you're talking about. Yeah. Oh, I'm lame and old, apparently. Doja Cat's taking the TikTok world by storm, I think. But I don't know. I don't even have TikTok on my phone. <laughs> 
Daily Theory TikToks. Nobody's going to do that this spring semester. Maybe. Oh, Doja Cat know. is a woman. I thought it was like a cartoon or something. No. She's an American rapper. American rapper. There you oh, go. Wow. Okay. Yeah, we're trying to I mean, if they're TikToks, they can't. This spring. That's good. If they're TikToks, they can't be long. So maybe that will help the clean factor. It might be easier to find. <laughs> yeah, if you just take that excerpt, it could be uh-huh. the best 30 <laughs> seconds of or something. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. We'll see what we can do with that. But yeah, we've, we've been talking a lot about, about Doge. You're so hip, Ben. Doge. I know. What's not so really. Cool. This is a facade. Way Let me just tell you me. right now. Uh, uh, but yeah, hopefully we can get that into theory too. I don't know. We'll see. See how, how it works out. What else? I think that's it. Rapid fire. Oh, no. I didn't come oh, up no. with rapid fire. I, don't, I didn't come up with anything with rapid fire. <laughs> no rapid this fire. Was, this was a whole rapid fire discussion. Yeah. It pretty day. much was. Really? Yeah. Truly, truly. So, yeah. So, this was fun. And so, we'll have to do another uh, wrap-up after the spring to see uh, how our uh, how we did on achieving our goals and if I truly listened to more rap music and, uh, and things like that. Um, but, yeah. So, we will have more episodes coming up this spring. We're really excited about uh, some of the guests that we have coming up and some of our ideas. And you can, of course, reach out to us on Facebook um our email note doctors podcast at gmail.com i don't think we've actually gotten one single email to that um <laughs> to that address so if you are still listening to this episode which maybe five people are um send us an email at note doctors podcast at gmail.com just to say that you made it to the very end of whatever episode (laughs) this is. I'm trying to log into our (laughs) podcast email right now to see if we even have anything. Um, But yeah, but thank you so much for listening and uh, we'll talk to you all later. 